John Curley and Sherry Elliker show. Thanks so much for being with us here on a Friday. John is out today. He'll be back on Monday. Greg Tomlin is sitting in. He's doing our 14 uh, at the uh, at Cairo right now. So, uh, Greg, thank you so much for the marathon that you're doing. Uh, we really do appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Sherry. It's been a blast so far. I look forward to continuing the conversation here. Well, Mayor Adams in New York is in a little bit of trouble because he had the audacity to say that he walks with God, and he doesn't think that it's really possible to have a separation of church and state. I think we've got some of, of what he had to say the other day. Don't tell me about no separation of church and state. State is the body. Church is the heart. You take the heart out of the body, the body dies. I can't separate my belief because I'm an elected official. When I walk, I walk with God. When I talk, I talk with God. When I put policies in place, I put them in with a God-like approach to them. That's who I am. Uh-oh. Does this bother you, Greg? <laughs> No, and in fact, uh, I tend to celebrate comments like this. I love the topic of the intersection of faith and politics. But as you pointed out, uh, the mayor is receiving some backlash uh, for what he said. Donna Lieberman, the executive director of the New York Civil Liberties Union, said that Adams needs a refresher of the First Amendment and that one faith can't be favorited over another, including non-belief. Well, I I would just push back a little and say I think Eric Adams was voicing his own opinion about how faith influences um, him as a leader uh, in the state of New York. And the First Amendment says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion nor prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So I don't believe Adam's comments to me run contrary to that. Uh, What's your take? It doesn't bother me at all. It really doesn't. I I think 43 percent of New York City's population disapproves of his performance right now. And that's largely due to crime. And I am certainly one that, that thinks there should be a separation of church and state. And I don't think that people, um, politicians necessarily, um, you know, always, always follow that. I think sometimes he's speaking to, um, you know, an interfaith group. And so he is going to talk about his faith. That is the subject matter. So I, it doesn't really surprise me, nor do I believe that he's some sort of religious zealot who is making decisions based on some sort of antiquated something in the Bible. I think that he's a, you know, I'm not sure how good of a leader he is. I don't live in New York City. I think the crime is out of control and there are some problems that many, in many cities are facing right now. Um, but no, that, that really doesn't have a a big impact on me. But there's this other story, Greg, Um, the Arizona school board, uh, they, they got into a a little bit of a, of a a mess because they have this uh, arrangement with the Arizona Christian university and they don't have enough teachers. So they have something where they have the, the Arizona Christian university provides them with student teachers and there is a, a woman on the school board, and she describes herself as bilingual, disabled, neurodi- neurodivergent, queer, black, Latina. He, she loves a good hot wing, but only <laughs> one with the right ranch. Of course. And things that sparkle. In spite of that. Okay. okay. A lot of box of checking there. Yes. Okay. <laughs> 
I kind of agree with what she has to say. Let's take a listen to why she believes that this Arizona Christian University is probably not the best fit for them. My concerns, though, are our values. And if this institution is value aligned with Washington Elementary School District, I'm going to start with our values first. Our vision in Washington Elementary School District is committed to achieving excellence for every child, every day, every opportunity. Every child. When I go to Arizona Christian University's website, and I'm taking this directly from their website, above all else, be committed to Jesus Christ, accomplishing his will and advancing his kingdom on earth as in heaven. Part of their values is influence, engage, and transform the culture with truth by promoting the biblically informed values that are foundational to Western civilization, including the centrality of family, traditional sexual morality, and lifelong marriage between one man and one woman. I want to know how bringing people from an institution that is ingrained in their values that will very directly, one, impact three of your board members who are a part of the LGBTQ community. That is the end of the clip. Sorry. Oh, I thought that was a pause for effect. Okay, wow. I was waiting for the big culmination Uh, there. Well, we have a little bit more from her and why she believes they should dissolve their partnership. At some point, we need to get real with ourselves and take a look at who we're making legal contracts with and the message that that is sending to our community. Because that makes me feel like I could not be safe in this in this school district. That makes other queer kids who are already facing attack from our lawmakers that they could not be safe in this community. So I really want us to think hard about who we're partnering with deep dive and I want to ask the district is this school value aligned with what we're trying to do and making sure that all of our students feel safe. And Sherry, you agree with her perspective, you say? I don't necessarily agree with they, that they don't feel safe. I have a little trouble with that That's word. That's what I'm I was going to sure. pick up on, too. I, yeah, yep. I, I'm not quite sure what that means, if they feel as though they're going to be persecuted or, or something like that. Um, but I can see where, in a, in a world where they're trying to be inclusive and there are LGBTQ TQ kids there that that doesn't line up with for whatever you feel about um, about those issues versus what the Christian school feels um, they don't really it's not really a good fit and so for that reason unless there is a complete need for that school to be you know aligned with them. I, I can see her point. I, I really can. I, I don't necessarily agree with all of it, but I can see where 
for better or worse, they both have positions on something. And do those two things mm-hmm. work together appropriately? Yeah, and I'll speak as a, a member of the Christian faith on this topic, not speak for all Christians everywhere. This is just my opinion and some conclusions I've made over matters like this. One of my favorite pastors is named uh, Reverend Timothy Keller, and he talks about uh, Christendom and the fact that America more and more resembles a post-Christendom era and how that's two different categories. So Christendom was a society maybe 100 years ago, 90 years ago, where if you were a person of faith, you had specific advantages in America. You had a leg up. Uh, you were given favor for a number of reasons. As we enter the post-Christendom era, post-Christendom A is you lose those advantages as a believer that you once had in society. You lose the favor you once had. Post-Christendom B, that category is now there are certain disadvantages to being an upholder of traditional values or of traditional faith beliefs in society. And I think we have more and more entered into post-Christendom B in this this day and age. And I'm, am I shocked by it? No. And, and I'm getting more and more used to the fact that some of the values I hold near and dear aren't going to be shared now by a majority of the population as they once were. So I'm getting used to the fact that uh, my deep-rooted belief system might run counter to the order of the day or new cultural norms that have emerged. So I embrace this concept of sort of living in exile in my own country and trying to navigate accordingly. But do you resent someone like her who goes against your um, your values and what you believe in, and she's essentially saying, you know, this school is counter to what we believe in because they are Christian. And I mean, I, yeah. I think that's, I think that's a fact. I don't think yeah. that, I don't think there's any real, uh, you know, w- w- objectively that is a fact. They, are, they believe in one thing and the Christian school probably doesn't believe in all of the things that they do. So if, if you take the kind of the emotion out of it and all of that, do you understand or do you still feel offended by the fact that she's dictating? Um, I'm not offended. I mean, these are the decision makers and and people in power right now. And whether I agree with it or not, I think I have to accept it. I'm not outraged by it. I sort of understand the zeitgeist. I will just add this, that the culture and society that we inherited this generation was sort of implemented by wasps. Uh, And the end result has been that diverging viewpoints – Uh, from that white Anglo-Saxon Protestant belief system, they were actually able to gain traction and influence various sectors because of the preconditions that the WASP society had set up. So, in in other words, academia, the arts, uh, business, and even government, to a degree, other viewpoints were able to gain traction and begin to flourish under the old system that had been set up. So faith is now in decline. Uh, And you see this in statistic after statistic in the data that comes out. And here's what I doubt. I doubt whatever value system is replacing that Judeo-Christian ethic will be as receptive to alternative viewpoints. 
Does that make I, sense, I, or is that kind of a word salad? <laughs> no, no, no. I agree with you. I, I think that's been uh, that's been proven over and over again that the people sometimes that preach the need for tolerance are the most intolerant, and that is uh, disturbing. So it's um it's you know places like Arizona, you know different places around the country, uh, they are trying so hard to be inclusive, and yet they're not inclusive of Christianity. My wife and I both went to a Christian high school, and so we had some friends that maintained their religion and some friends that fell away from it. But the dynamic that we've noticed is for a lot of our friends who lost their faith, they adopted a new belief system that in some ways was even more dogmatic and more judgmental than the faith that they derided and left because of those very reasons. It's. I, I agree with you. I, I've noticed that. I, I, a lot of my friends who are very, very liberal pass the most judgment of, of anybody. Right. I mean, they really do. I mean, if you're not with them, you're against them. And if you don't believe what they believe then you are evil and terrible and there's no you don't really have any redeeming qualities unless they're they're not open not not all of them but a lot of them are not open to any ideas other than what um what 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 they believe in um, i want to get to this because i found this really sad um and it's about seattle and it, it's about seattle being one of the nation's saddest large metro areas um, and 45% of Seattle area adults were dealing with depression or said they were dealing with depression when they were asked. Um, and it's really kind of staggering. Um, and they say that, you know, part of the, the survey that they did was, um, a lot of people, um, Seattle was number one in the percentage of adults feeling depression. They interviewed about 3 million people, 18 years old, and, 18 years old and older, um, coming up. Behind them is Boston, Miami, Phoenix, and Riverside, California. Um, Does this trouble you? I mean, do you find, I don't live in Seattle, so I don't know, but do you find that the Seattle area feels gloomier than (laughs) other places? Or do you find that people, you know, around you are in good spirits, bad spirits? I know when you're working 14 shows a day, like you're doing today, uh, you might feel a little down, but (laughs) what, what do you think? No, uh, good question. And I wonder what is the main causal factor here? I think part of this might even relate to the previous discussion we just had, which is some of those cities you named off are some of the most secular places in the world. But I also default to thinking that this has something to do with the weather, although you probably couldn't say that about uh, Phoenix and maybe Boston to a degree, but we just have so many gloomy, gray and rainy days around here. And there's no question that some of that relates to psychological health to me. I remember I went to Ireland one time. We were there in the middle of August and it was just overcast and raining. And I thought to myself, it makes sense to me why drinking culture is so ingrained over here because yeah. you got to cope with these clouds year round, even in the month of August. I think some of that plays a role with uh, the statistics we're seeing about Seattle and depression, but maybe just to a degree. Well, they actually cited that. They said that the weather does have an effect on it, but that doesn't explain Miami or Phoenix or even yeah. Riverside, California. So um, I, that, you know, I, I don't know if people are just depressed because they're 
let's don't blame COVID again, but coming out of the isolated period of COVID and, you know, maybe people are still sort of getting, you know, over that or they don't have as much interaction with people anymore because people aren't going back to work. But um, cheer up, Seattle. Come on. <laughs> it's okay. Really, it is. It's the John Curley and Sherry Elliger Show. John's off today, but filling in is Greg Tomlin, who is doing a radio marathon of sorts. So we certainly appreciate him being here. And Greg, it looks like young men today are either really sad or really smart. Oh, yeah. New data from the Pew Research Center has shown that 63% of men under age 30 are single, and that's up from 51% in 2019. A couple of reasons for this cited in the story in the New York Post, COVID isolation and women's high expectations for something serious. I'm not buying it. Are oh, you? really? Not, I mean, how many, how much are we going to use COVID as an excuse for everything? Very I true. Mean, I, get the, I get the isolation was a bad thing. Nobody enjoyed that. It was hard on everybody. But, you know, birds and the bees, I mean, at some point you're going to want to be able to, uh, be, you know, get a partner, get somebody out there that, that you like to hang out with. And, uh, these guys say that dating feels more like job interviews. And they say that women are putting pressure on them. What can you do for me? Where is this going? One guy gave the example that they were coming home after a first date and the woman was saying, you know, something about what they might name their children or what they, you know, really going way too into the future. So the women really don't want casual flings. Um, and the men say that flirting isn't even any fun anymore because everybody's, I guess, taking it too seriously or people are afraid to approach because they're used to, you know, guarding themselves with COVID. Um, I just, do you, do you really think that's the reason or do you think that some of it has to do with social media and the fact that people aren't as interactive as they used to be? Um, because they rely so heavily on their phones and their computers. My working theory here for this data, which I find stunning and a bit discouraging, that 63% of men are, are single under the age of 30, is I believe there's a phenomenon of directionless young males in the country that are figuring out their ish and don't know what their North Star is. And so they spend a lot of their late teenage years and 20s and maybe even early 30s just kind of twiddling their thumbs, asking questions about what does it all mean. Uh, In previous generations, there was a lot more of a direct track of here's what we expect from you and now go carry out your duty. And that has changed dramatically in my lifetime for the better in some instances but I would argue mostly for the worse, and the, the data is bearing that out. They, they quote this guy named Ian Breslow, who's a 28-year-old high school teacher who lives in Astoria, who's absolutely stunned and says, quote, like you mentioned, dates feel more like job interviews now, more like what can you do for me and where is this going? Oh, the horror. <laughs> like a news flash to Ian, most women – and maybe this is old-fashioned, but I assume most women prefer commitment, security, reliability, stability, and many shy away from just dudes who are looking for flings and hookups on the fly. 
I mean, he, he says this like he's blindsided by the fact that when he goes out with women, they actually might want to know what he has to offer in life. Um, I don't know. I, I found that quite stunning. Uh, yeah, I, I think that there is uh, sometimes men and women are at odds over these types of things. Women, when they get into their 30s, are certainly thinking about their biological clock. They're mm-hmm. thinking about, you know, wanting to settle down. Not all women, but some women are. And men, like you said, if there is this kind of general malaise in terms of uh, people just aren't that ambitious anymore. Um, they're just not worried about like, you know, certainly my generation where success and and being you know having a career and having a family and having all those things that was your goal that was your prime target um and so now it's a, a lot of that a lot of that has changed um i do want to talk about this story uh this is something that it, it people there was a lot of uh, debate on this it's about a young a young man um who suffers from from autism it's in colorado springs and he made a poster for a girl and wanted her to be his valentine and i guess he presented this to her in a rather public way uh maybe in the cafeteria something like that well she said no she was a polite about it but she said no i won't be your valentine well his mom got incredibly heartbroken over this and went to facebook and asked everybody hey can you help him out and all of these people came to his rescue and they made a poster saying you can be our valentine rowan or roman um you know you you don't have to be feel alone and they sent him all these different things but there were other people that felt like they were vilifying the young lady that said no to him, which she had every right to do. I think we've got some sound on a on a TikToker that had a really strong opinion about this. The Today Show titled it, you know, he was rejected, so they came to his rescue. Rescued him from what? He's not Timmy in a well. He is a boy who asked a girl to be his valentine, and she, from all sources I can find, politely declined. He chose to do it in a very public way. We've got to stop teaching kids to do that it's it's manipulative because it puts the recipient on the defensive it puts them in a position where everybody's watching and now you have to decide something in front of other people and in this case the media got word of it because the mom posted it to her facebook and the media has spun it that this little boy is the victim and that girl is being demonized while he's being coddled the comments on the actual poster from the other students are absolutely oh you can do better you can do better as though this girl did something wrong as though she's nothing as though she's less than nothing planting the seeds that if a girl says no to you she's beneath you that's <laughs> body okay, that, that is from tiktok uh poet uh, potty mouth polly um telling us exactly what what she thinks you have kids would you encourage your kids to stay away from something like this i mean the the young man did this in a way that was probably embarrassing both for him and the young lady. Um, what would you if, if if one of your kids came to you and said, "Hey, I'm going to do this thing, Dad. Where yeah. I'm going to you know say, will you be my Valentine in front of everybody?" What would you advise them of? Wow, this brings back pangs here from my high school and junior high days of asking girls to tolos and Valentine's banquets and stuff. Uh, I'm not sure this kid 
acted apart from any of the way his peers probably did. But like public displays of, of invitations are not anything new. I remember a girl asked me one time by like writing an invitation on a football and putting it on my car, and then all my friends were around, and it was you do sort of feel the pressure to say yes. Yeah. And from a parent perspective. I'm not sure I would publicize my kid's disappointment like this. Uh, I don't really like that aspect of it. And then the fact that the kid is autistic adds a whole other element to the story. And so I kind of feel for all involved. And I, I sort of wish the story had stayed local and then it wasn't just another thing that someone looked to capitalize on and stir up social media into yet again another frenzy. If that makes right. sense. Yeah. Yes, of course. And now this, but I think that the the good news about this is that the young man seems to be very, very pleased with the outcome. He doesn't seem to think that it was anything uh, terrible. You know, he was he was okay with it. The mother was heartbroken because he got mm-hmm. his feelings hurt, but it all ended up okay. But I I, I got to say that you know. Potty mouth Polly makes a point that you shouldn't you should be allowed to say no. I've always looked at these engagements, you know, when somebody in, gets engaged in the middle of an NBA game or something. And oh, it's like, yes. oh, oh, how tacky. Don't you find the rejections the most satisfying when that happens? It's once in a blue moon that a a guy gets shot down. But I always kind of relish. it. Yeah. Good for you. Uh, Anyway. (laughs) John Curley, Sherry Elliker Show. We would love to hear from you. You can text us on the state uh, roofing text line at 1-888-973-5476 or at mynorthwest.com. John Curley out today. Greg Tomlin is in. And, Greg, I know you are a movie buff, and I think you probably read this story. This is in the New York Times Magazine. It's kind of a love letter to the closing credits of movies. Are you the guy that sticks around at the end of the movie and and watches all of them and sort of points out, oh, that's so-and-so, or you just feel it's a matter of showing respect for the people behind the scenes? Good question. The author of this piece uh, posits that attention is a form of love. So when you stick around to see all the end credits at the end of a movie, whether that be for five minutes or seven minutes, You're really expressing an act of love for the filmmaker, and the author also notes how it it brings him or her perspective on the collaborative nature of making films. For me, I'll usually stick around during the end credits in the theater, but for a different reason. I sort of like to marinate in what I've just seen and sort of contemplate it for a little bit. And sure, I'll look at, oh, who did the cinematography here? Who who is the writer? I'm less interested in things like costume design or set and makeup and all that kind of stuff. Although some people, you know, to each his own, they might love that as well. But don't you run the risk? I feel like the people that stick around for the whole time come across to me as like a bit stuffy or a bit pretentious like really you're going to hang on to the bitter end here uh so i'll I'll, two or three minutes but i can't stand the modern trend of whether it's a streaming movie or show what happens is the second the piece of art is over and i keep calling that a piece of art this the credits go into this little mini box in the corner and then there's like a countdown clock before the next production begins like you don't even have a split second to think about what you've just seen because these streaming companies want to keep you hooked and just your eyeballs glued to the screen for whatever content is coming up next that really bothers me because i 
I, I find movies and shows are something that are fun and enriching to talk about afterwards or to think about. So you like the little break. You want to be able Absolutely. to reflect on what you've just seen and maybe, you know, maybe take a breather where you can look at the credits and see, oh, that person. See, I, my husband sticks around for the credits. Now, he has no interest whatsoever in movie making. It's not like like this woman's talking about how her parents were in the movie business and she says it's sort of like it must be like them looking through an old yearbook and going, mm. oh look, there's so and so. Maybe he's doing the set design here or he's the, that type of thing. My husband has no knowledge of any of that. I, I'm never sure why he sits through them. <laughs> he's um, just lazy. <laughs> yeah, maybe he's just tired and, and can't get up. But I, I have to say as selfish as it sounds, I am up and out. I have no interest in looking through the credits. I just, and I know it's a little disrespectful because people that work behind the scenes are every bit as important as the people that are in on, you know, in front of the camera. So I, I get all that. I just, I don't know. It's just kind of, kind of slow. And I don't, wouldn't know anybody anyway. Um, I've done a lot of, um, you know, work in, you know, some movies and certainly did my share of lots and lots of extra work. And so I would always stick around to see if a movie was shot in DC. I would stick around to, you know, kind of see my friends' names in it if they played a little part in something. Um, but yeah, never, uh, never one to hang out. And Jacob brought up a really good point, which is the theater people want you out of there because they got to clean up everything. The popcorn and the vomit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, like, move it, will you? I used to be one of those people. Oh. Worked at oh. Uh, Regal Cinemas and Crossroads for a summer. And I would uh, take those little water cups and fill them with popcorn and put a ton of fake butter on it and sneak it during breaks. <laughs> those were the days. Oh, but then there was boy. the whole cleaning up people's filth in the, in the aisle after films were over. So it's bittersweet. You have quite a resume, Mr. Tomlin. I will say <laughs> yes. that. Almost as long Between. as yours, Sherry. It was yeah. you who was, uh, we used to joke at every job. I did have a lot of jobs, but never, ever a card counter. So I'm, I am <laughs> thoroughly and completely impressed.